0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45
1: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across
1: the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival and with generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums,
0: and to learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Epic Piecast, introducing your hosts, Nelson Lugo and Schaefer the Dark Lord.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, coming to you from the beautiful and spacious studio 6C in Astoria Queens, this is the Epic Piecast, Episode 9. I'm your host, Schaefer the Dark Lord.
1: And I'm your other host, Nelson Lugo.
0: Imposter! Oh, as you can probably tell, that is not Nelson Lugo. Apparently he's playing hooky. He says he's sick or something. and
1: uh, He must be really sick.
0: He must be. He said something that he has some sort of illness or something. Like maybe I heard
1: something about that. Lupus
0: or something? Could be. Maybe he had a bad asthma attack. Look, I don't really pay that much attention when Lugo talks. I'm going to level with you. So we'll just assume he's playing hooky and he's at home playing through Mass Effect 3 for the 500th time. In his place, we have the newest member of the Epic Win Burlesque family. It is my pleasure to introduce to you, Sarah Tops. Hi! Welcome to Studio 6C, and thank you for filling in for Nelson Lugo. It seems to be the
1: trend these days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it really does, um, which perfectly sets up uh, what I would like to talk to you about. So... Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do for Epic Win these days.
1: Well, these days are different than what I started out with. A little while ago, I started doing sound at all the R-Bar shows. Uh, So I was kind of part of the family a little bit, but...
0: Oh, no, you were definitely a part of the family.
1: Okay. Well, I guess I got to go down to the dressing room. That makes me part of the family. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, these days, I'm stepping it up as co-producer with Mary and Nelson and helping, you know, keep everything in line, all the businessy things and money things and... Keeping everybody happy and taken care of.
0: It's true. Since uh, Nelson has uh, been in the hospital for his, uh, I think it was eczema. I think is why <laughs> he's in the hospital. It's a terrible eczema. Hangnail. He had it. Oh, he did have that really bad hangnail because he was whining about it all over Facebook. So he's been he's been out of commission a bit, and Mary was kind of uh, out of commission for a little while. She had a knee injury. Yep. Um, you swooped in like an angel. <laughs> And stepped up and above and beyond your duties as as merely doing sound, and you have kind of taken over a lot of the um the business of Epicwin. You're you're really kind of running the shows.
2: Uh
1: to 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 a point. I mean I'd say Mary and Nelson are still the creative directors of everything, but I'm just kind of coming in to try to manage things on a more business, financial level and, you know, helping things move along the way that, you know, they would anywhere else, especially now that the two other co-producers were out of commission for a little bit
0: that is true they are still the creative directors of the show that's that's fair you're you're still doing sound at the shows but and Uh, some of
1: them the r-bar shows Mm -hmm. those are mine those are yours
0: (laughs) (laughs) you've carved your name into the board at r-bar so
1: yeah no one could see it though it's kind of dark up there
0: oh it is it's terribly dark you also (laughs) uh stage manage the shows too
1: uh, let's call it show running. Oh, that's uh, right. We talked about this. Uh, <laughs> I, yes, I, I prefer to call it show running because it's a little bit different job than stage management. And as I'm in the union for stage managers, it is definitely not stage management.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are you are qualified to do that position in a more uh, legitimate sense. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, you could say that. But b- basically the way I see it is I bring the professionalism that I would bring as a stage manager to producing burlesque. Um, also, I'm a producer at other places and jobs at a bit more official level. I don't really know. Uh, I produce worldwide multimedia concerts for the Juilliard school in my other life. Uh, And so this is just kind of an extension of that Um, and independent films too.
0: I feel like you're suggesting that those gigs don't have the same legitimacy as say hanging out with a bunch of naked drunk Pokemons, which is really what working in Epic at Wynn is.
1: Yes. (laughs) And you know, it, it is very, very official. And you know, I, I signed many contracts to come on board here, and um, <laughs> I, it, it would be a shame to say anything else.
0: I saw the motorcycle that you drove over here that you're getting with your salary from Epic. Win. Absolutely,
1: it's my third. I crashed the
0: first two. Oh, you're you are you are a rock star of your of your job.
1: It's you know, it's the curse. I keep joking that there is this curse of being a producer of Epic Win. As I was standing talking to Mary at the New Eurekan show one of the tech guys hit me in the leg with a stanchion and I was kind of limping for the rest of the night. And it, it must be the curse. I don't know. I think being part of Epic Win, you, you just get maimed or hurt or sick.
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Cause that, if that was at the Norican show, the one, the, uh, the double feature, the Harry Potter Twilight Zone show. Yep. It's still kind of early. It's still
1: kind of fresh, kind of new, you know, and I, even if I, regardless of whether or not I'm running sound, I still, you know, go give the cast their 10, 5-minute calls and try to let everyone know what's going on and that they feel like they could actually tell me when they want their music to start, even if it's not me starting it. Um, you know, keep everybody happy. That's all we can try to do.
0: Sure. So, yeah. So now early on, this is right, you know, Mary's still recovering from her knee, knee injury. Uh
1: there are a lot of stairs at the New Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. I got lots of exercise on so, my then gimpy leg.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. So the, already the, the curse is uh, attempting to uh, scare you away.
1: It's all right. I can take it. I'm a martial artist. I've been hurt worse.
0: That's true. You are. I forgot that you're a martial artist.
1: Yeah. In another life, I was a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. It's been about five years since I've been out of the game, but you don't forget everything.
0: No. Um,
1: Certainly not the toughness.
0: Well, there will not be an on-air demonstration. Uh, I'm afraid of martial artists.
1: <laughs> I should have brought my nunchucks.
0: I'm so glad you didn't. I'm. I'm really. Grateful Apparently, that you
1: didn't. I think they're illegal in New York, so I'm not supposed to carry them around. I was hoping to train in the park. We'll see how it goes.
0: You know, hopefully, they're actually illegal in New York, and not that way where everybody thinks they're not illegal. And as it turns out, there are consequences for. I don't <laughs> want to talk about that part. Huh? <laughs> You've worked on that show. You worked on the the, the most recent double feature. Uh-huh. uh You worked on Nelson's Benefit Show. Mm-hmm. Is that correct?
1: Uh, I didn't work on it. Uh, actually, you gave me a job. I wasn't officially on it, but I was Nelson's bodyguard.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: <laughs> I was. That I was to, hey, I had to, you know, protect him from the hordes of fans. Right. That wanted to uh, touch his hangnail. Yeah. And uh, wish him luck, uh, rub his head...
0: Give him weepy stories about their their stepmother, who also once had a hangnail
1: yes, that's exactly it, and he he didn't want any of that. He did, however tell me to punch you in the neck, and I didn't yeah, um because I know you're afraid of martial artists
0: i am and i I really appreciate that uh i was um it wouldn't have really worked out for the show. I had a lot of my plate that night, and you I, had a
1: singing to I, do. I this. had to sing
0: I had to aggressively talk is really what it's I don't really sing it's uh
1: you you did sing though that night did I? On oh, the cover. I did.
0: Oh, I did sing on the cover. Yeah. Buster Keith and I covered uh, Empire State of Mind.
1: It was probably one of my favorite moments in burlesque
0: in a while. No, <laughs> really? really.
1: The whole cast came out and we're dancing and they drag people up on stage and it was really fun. That it was, was just this big family moment.
0: That was it. That was a good time. So since but since you've been brought on, um, you're suddenly in, in, in demand now. Everybody, <laughs> look, everybody wants Sarah Tops to come and run their show because they realize that we're a bunch of misfits. And as I was kind of talking to you about this earlier, there's I think that there's a tendency in a lot of these kind of ambitious burlesque productions, not just every you know, kind of variety burlesque show, but the big the themed ones, the ones, the, the more ambitious productions where whoever it is that is in charge of producing the show is also one of the performers. So a lot of focus gets taken away from running the show that goes into focusing on one's act. And that's fair. That happens to uh, all of us. I've performed in shows that I've produced before and been more consumed with the uh, elements of the cool costume that I put together and not not staying on top of the show. So you've kind of come in. You've made these shows run much more smoothly. And now everybody wants you.
1: I wouldn't say everybody. Oh,
0: well, (laughs) I'm predicting the future.
1: Oh, I see.
0: Look, you, Mary did a Shakespeare burlesque show.
1: That's true. I did come on board for that. You did? And I worked with the Honey Badgers this weekend at their inaugural show in Queens. That's
0: right. Our friends uh, uh, Sherry Cola and Charles Stunning together, Honey Badger Burlesque, they did their first show this weekend, and you... We're showrunner on that too.
1: I was indeed.
0: You know, one of my favorite things that you do during the show is that you know you mentioned a minute ago is giving everybody the like the five minute warning or the ten minute warning or whatever.
1: It, that's so funny to me because it's second nature. I don't know how not to these days. You know, and I, when I run events, I do it even though it's not required. But it's with my training as a stage manager, that's just what you do. How, I, I realize that in the burlesque world, all the performers are very self-sufficient and it's very nice coming from a theater background and specifically after working on an opera where you have to tell the people when to get on stage, even though it's the same time every night. But um, <laughs> so you have these self-sufficient performers in a dressing room where they can't hear anything. And I, I, I've heard horror stories where people, you know, fade the sound and someone's at the bar and has to go get on stage. And that's not how things are supposed to run. It's so easy to just say, hey, five minutes you want to come upstairs with me? Well, you know, get ready. I'll fade the music and then move the lights and you're good. And I mean, in in other disciplines too, I mean, I work with writer, director, producers on feature films and on stage plays and the same thing happens. You get caught up in one role more than the other. You have to be told when to focus on the right thing. I get brought in a lot as producer or stage manager to help in those situations because I am a person who does not want to be a performer ever. (laughs) I was there when I was like eight and 10 and I'm I'm over it. I hate memorizing lines. I don't want all the attention on me. This is weird even being on this podcast (laughs) right now. Um, But I like supporting the people with these great creative ideas. I have a very good... um, paperwork and organizational style that I can bring to things that I can support wonderful creative people to do what they want to do. And that's what attracted me to working in burlesque in the first place. It's very similar to where I work in theater and in film where people come up with these crazy ideas like I'm producing a feature this summer about stoners who saved the world from sock-stealing aliens, uh, called Sockalypse. I'll tell you more about it on another podcast. <laughs> oh,
0: well, 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 uh, if, if you like, we can put a, a link up in the show notes.
1: Absolutely. You can check out our trailer. Um, I would never have thought of that. That is so far outside, but I, my wonderful writer, director, producer needs somebody to be able to handle the rest of the stuff while she can be a creative person, um, And so I think that that's something that's different that I bring to burlesque is that I'm not a performer. I'm not going to be a performer. I've said this a million times. I have no problem being naked in public. Let's have a party. I'm in. But I'm not a performer. I respect the art too much and the amount of work that goes into creating these acts that it would be horrible to assume that i could just step into it because i'm a fan and that i work on the sidelines you know i've worked on off-broadway shows does that mean i could get on stage and sing oh god no <laughs> sure, sure. And, I, and i don't want to it's you know there this is something i've said about myself as a stage manager for many years uh, there are people who get into stage management because they want to be close to theater and they want to use that as a way to perform they're not good stage managers because right. they're not interested in this I was thinking about coming on this podcast and saying the thing I'm nerdiest about, and I almost was going to say office supplies because that's me. <laughs> that is how I think. That is what I do.
0: <laughs> what is your favorite size of binder clip?
1: Oh boy, one inch. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's about right for a script. Ah. Uh, also, I can put my finger in it and it doesn't hurt because I play with all the things on my desk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I like those. I like those too. What's What's the smaller ones? It's like a three quarter inch or there's half a half inch. inch. Yeah.
1: Those, might been, as well use a fucking paper clip.
0: You mi- <laughs> Thank you. You might as well use a fucking paper clip. They I've make been, nice s- ones too. They make really nice ones. But yeah, that 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 one. Those ooh, those big, those like two inch ones. That's like a half a ream of paper you can squeeze into one of ah, those. Oh,
1: see, nope. Then I put it in a binder.
0: Oh. What do you like, uh, three hole punch or spiral? Three hole punch, please. Oh, because You've got then you it. have the opportunity to edit. You I, like... Yeah,
1: you have to edit it. I can't even explain how many tech rehearsals I've been in where up to the last minute I'm changing stuff. I mean, that even happened with the Bardlesque show, Mary yeah. Sin show. You know, it's last minute changes hop up, you gotta be prepared for it and just let everybody know it's okay. And you just frantically change your notes and rip something out of a three hole punch and put it back in.
0: Yeah, once you're you're pretty much committing if it's if you get something spiral bound. That's a finished I, document. I, That's can, a...
1: I can do that with scores for my Juilliard job. If you know I have a person playing a score for me the music is always going to be the same however they might have to wait for me to play a video in the middle of them playing something and they can write that in that that's okay
0: okay that's all right that's fine M-
1: musicians need things set apparently i don't know notes i don't read music it's it's hard
0: look musicians are irritating
1: they are got you know <laughs> I,
0: let me ask you this how do you feel about tabs
1: tabs on my binder
0: yeah Yeah,
1: I can show you some binders that I have with 14, 15 tabs set out so that I can find everything I need. I always say here's the thing. I feel like I've
0: been waiting my whole life to meet to have this conversation with somebody who, who gets it
1: right. Here's my thing. I have very little short term memory. I've been working around this my whole life. I write things down if I need to remember them. I can find any information within two minutes. I make it so that I have it, and the internet's great for this. But you know, just in a production or anything, someone asks me a question, I can find it for you real quick. Tabs—that is the way to do it. You need to know mm. where to look, limit your search. It's awesome.
0: I just want one thing. I want to say before I, I stop talking about your um, wonderful interest in organization is that. It is something that you are um, praised for now because you, you do bring a lot of our organization to the show and preparation and you're great and you're on top of everything and you do make the show run smoothly. When I was doing it with Lugo, it was just a constant uh, source of ridicule for me because we would – this is what we would do. When we would plan one of these more ambitious epic wind shows, we would come to the show and we would have some kind of scripted bits that we wanted to do and ways that we were going to try to – tie the theme together through our hosting bits throughout the show and i would come and i would have like notes like kind of just basic outlines of jokes in between all the performers and i would have like tech sheets i would have all the performers names and and their music their track title and their cue and a space that the the lighting person could write lighting notes and i would have that and then i would have our jokes inserted and then i would have scripts for us and then i would have lists of the show orders in the in the the dressing room and then i would make like five copies of each one of these documents and then I would bind them together with paper clips, and then I would put those into like manila folders and then I would put those into a red well and I would be all organized and Lugo would come with some like illegible scribble on a ketchup stained napkin and then he would make fun of me and call like make fun of my OCD uh, for making sure that his old dog and pony show had some semblance of order. So I'm just glad that somebody now... Well, I, first of all, I, it's also great that you, you know, like, that you aren't a performer in the show because then you do get to focus on – everybody gets to kind of focus on their tasks and not spread themselves too thin. But I also like that there's somebody's doing it who's making the shows run so smoothly uh, that Nelson Lugo uh, doesn't hate. So the, you, you are being <laughs> That's ridiculed to be for seen.
1: It. I haven't been around long enough.
0: I, I can tell you that the cast talks about you when you're not around in every show in 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 the Shakespeare show in the me. Honey Badger no it's only <laughs> it's only glowing praise everybody's always we we're, we're all glad that we got you to join her cult
1: it's actually very strange for me that i keep hearing these things because as a stage manager specifically you are in the background you are not supposed to get any attention you are the person that gets yelled at if a light blows because of a power outage and you say yes of course it will never happen again and you go talk to the electrics guys and say hey guys I realized there was a power surge because we had a power outage can we fix that light before tomorrow thanks and you just took you know 10 minutes of abuse from the director who doesn't understand how tech works um as a producer of film and theater it's been a little bit different i'm a little more in the forefront but it's always putting yourself out there to be yelled at and just taking the yes of course it's my fault it'll never happen again so the the positive praise and the Real welcome I'm getting into the burlesque community is great because it actually also makes me want to work more. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, I should, I should say something about that too. I also like that you are proficient in technical vocabulary. You'd be surprised how rare of a trait that is in our community. You would be shocked at how many times I've gone to shows and talked to people who have been producing shows for years, years, and I've said to them, hey, I brought this wireless mic. All I need is an XLR and to just have them look at me like a dog that just heard a high-pitched noise. They, they've asked me if that means soundwire.
1: <laughs> soundwire.
0: I heard the phrase soundwire from a producer who is still doing shows who just didn't know what an XLR cable was. And I, there was a time I, like, I had this dream that I was going to try to teach a class at the New York School of Burlesque that was just going to be just tech. Just so, like, you can tell your performers, like, just so you know how to hook up, like, an iPod and a microphone to, like, a six-channel PA head and even just know what those terms mean. Know what the different cables are. People don't know what those things are.
1: I, that's kind of an across-the-board problem with performers in general, I think. Um, producers, it doesn't always present itself. But ever since I started training in theater and these kinds of things, I took all the tech classes that I could. I... Um, I can design lights, I can run a soundboard, I could design sound, I can build a flat, I can do all of these things. I can't believe I'm saying it's on the air because I try very hard to let people not know that I can do these things because it's not my job to do them. However, I want to be able to communicate effectively with the people who do. You know, my job at Juilliard, I work with music technology. It's this crazy technology that's cutting edge it often has to do with musical instruments we do connectivity around the world and i know enough to talk to the right people about the right things and manage it effectively if i didn't know how to hook up an xlr cable i don't know how i could do my job there and so i have the minimal tech skills needed to run an eight channel mixer at one of our shows or to you know program an express if we're at the tank if i needed to that's fine but I also know how to talk to the person programming it and ask for the right things right. so that I can call the cues and do the right things um, to make the show run more professionally.
0: So, Sarah Tops, just I'm just trying it out, just taking it. I, I understand that this stage name is a little, it's, it's fresh.
1: It, it's very fresh, but I'm, I'm kind of loving it.
0: <laughs> you, you know, you were also mentioning that you are kind of, you're plugging your talents here and, and uh, you are going to have a lot of people coming to you for help on shows. Uh, and I loved it when you told me that you might make business cards <laughs> that suggest, and I quote, "Try Sarah Tops."
1: That's why I like the name so much. It just,
0: <laughs> I it just it makes my heart smile. That's so that's so much fun. So, look, this once upon a time, this podcast was supposed to be Nelson Lugo and I talking about our nerdy pop culture interests, and we have. But it seems like mostly it's like we dabble in talking about. Uh, what's going on in the Batman comic books for like a few minutes, and then the rest of the episode is talking about cancer or divorce. So let me, what are you into? What's your thing? I know you, you mentioned a little bit – you mentioned a couple of things to me before that you are a passionate fan of.
1: Well, I guess the first one was Doctor Who, Doc- which I'm not going to be that person and tell you, oh, my God, you have to watch because you already know.
0: I do. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I told you before we started recording that I, I still – I've never watched Doctor Who. Not because I'm protesting, not because everybody's into it and I'm trying to be, like, different, but because I know how I get about things that I'm into and I have a really addictive personality. Me too. And there's so much material out there. And I somehow that I haven't seen it yet means that I can still do stuff like work on my rap record that's taken me three years. But if I start going down that rabbit hole, forget it. Nobody's going to see me again socially. And people barely see me socially as it is. Um, but so, it's all on Netflix, so you can. I know, it out I know. It's pipe. it's all right there in that little box under my TV, and I'm not gonna. Mm.
2: So, well,
1: along those lines, I told you when I first got into Doctor Who, I was snowed in in DC a couple years ago with my girlfriends, and we could not leave. We somehow had power, but we were stuck for two days. So we watched the first like two seasons, of, like starting
0: with the Eccleston. Yeah,
1: starting with Eccleston into David Tennant, and yeah. And then I was hooked and I had to I just watched all of Buffy, too, for the first time. I'm one of those nerds who isn't I don't have a lot of breath, but I get really obsessed about like one thing and then I keep going with it. But the one thing that I've always been nerdy about is Nintendo, Aww. which is why I, I I looked at Schaefer's game systems and was a little disappointed.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I I would like as I was telling you, I would like to get a Nintendo, like an original NES system. Because-
1: my boyfriend and I got each other one for our two-year anniversary last year. Oh,
0: I'm going to make <laughs> you tell that story again, too. <laughs> I, never ha- I never had an NES when I was growing up. So I had to pretend that I liked my shitty friends who did have NES. So I could go over and play Super Mario 3 and Pro Wrestling. Those are my jams. I loved those games. There's a lot of nostalgia people have tied up in certain games. I've heard enough about them over the years. And I, I played some of them. Like, I know that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was impossible to beat. I know about that. Oh, I, I played the shit out of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out with uh, some friends of mine. I, I don't have – it wouldn't have the same nostalgia for me. Like, I remember playing some of those games. I almost want to get one. As a a gesture toward me from like 25 years ago and saying like, look, kid, you never got it then. Now you're a grown ass man and you can have it. So go get it. And then I want to go get a bunch of games. But
1: I I do have to warn you, um, just because we've gotten older, the NES has not gotten any better at reading cartridges. So there's still that. You will very quickly have nostalgia for blowing on cartridges yeah. and tra- fiddling them around to try and get them to work.
0: That's still the case. Yeah. yeah. But I
1: mean, my system was really the SNES. That was, that was my baby. I, I, Super Mario All-Stars took up most of my childhood. That was your jam. Yeah, my jam. I was telling you the story earlier. We, ha- we had many babysitters growing up, but one of them knew all the secrets in Super Mario 3 and all we wanted was for her to come over. And play with us. And so we'd beg mom to only get that babysitter. And she she did often. And I aspired to be that. And... (laughs) <laughs> uh, when I was in college, I was. I found three adorable children who loved their classic video games and I was a rock star because I could tell them how to get the secrets and it was awesome. Like
0: what kinda of, what kind of which, which games are these kids playing that you were able uh, to well, teach them? It's
1: really interesting because a lot of the classic games come out on the DS. So I would help them with um Super Mario 64, which is a little bit different on the DS, so right. I would I, I, I'd get in trouble. They'd be like, How do I find the Wario hat? I was like, There's no fucking Oh right, there's a Wario hat in this one. Uh, internet. Oh, there's. That's where it is. I'm the best, right? <laughs> um, and then
0: were you, know, you were you doing that like surreptitiously trying to to show them that you just like came, it came to you. So uh, gonna,
1: yeah, oh. sometimes. But I um, <laughs> we played you know things like the new Super Mario Brothers, which are still it's the same game. You, know? you can figure it out if you know how to search for secrets. You do. I mean, it, when my boyfriend Jeff and I played video games together. We look in the same places. We don't even mean to. You know, you start the level, you go backwards just to check to see yep. if it's there. You see a suspicious looking thing and you risk a life to jump and try to get it. Hey,
0: maybe if you're standing on one of these platforms, if you hunker down for a couple seconds, you might go you'll through fall it. behind it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, I played, um, I was I was really into my DS for a while, uh, like a year ago or maybe two years ago. And I got that game, the, the new Super Mario Brothers. Um, and... Oh god, that game was so much fun. And here's the thing that I really liked about it. And this is the thing that I'd kind of forgotten from over the years. And again, just to remind you, I never had my own Nintendo, but I played a lot of those Mario games with my friends. Um kind of friends. Yeah. Kind of friends. They were my friends cuz they had a Nintendo and cute sisters, but otherwise uh who cares?
1: Best kind of friends.
0: <laughs> they they did. They re- at the time, oh, it they, was they, it was like finding a gold mine. Uh so a thing that I remember playing um, the New Super Mario Brothers on the DS uh, is that uh, a thing that was consistent through a lot of those games that I think we've forgotten because they're all like, kind of cute and nostalgic for us is how b- brutally difficult they can be. Like they're all so cute and it's really just a two-dimensional platform or blah, 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 blah. But there are portions that you will dedicate like 14 hours to just trying to get past if you're me. I'm also not very good at video games.
1: Ah, See, no, I I understand what you're saying, but that's the kind of video game I can get addicted to and not lose too much time. I also said this earlier. I can't buy Skyrim or else I wouldn't be so awesome at producing burlesque and other things because I would never leave my house. Right, because you have a tendency
0: to be a completionist, you were saying.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is no
0: end to that game.
1: I I understand that. Um, (laughs) It's a real problem. I mean, many of us are completionists, but... There are some games that I've just learned to stay away from. And also games where you have to work with other people in real time. I just I can't handle that pressure. Like World of Warcraft would consume me. I can't. But the other game that is consuming me right now, and I bonded with Nelson Lugo about this, is Puzzle Quest.
0: Oh. I can't
1: even explain how much I love match three games. And this game, if for those of you who don't know it, is it's an RPG. You're I was a knight. You could be other things. I was a knight. You'd be your knight fighting for your city and you need to learn all these things and every time you go to battle somebody you play bejeweled at them. Wow. It's important. (laughs) And in Puzzle Quest 2 which I now just got from my DS it's even more ridiculous. I want to loot this treasure chest. Play the looting match three game. I want to disable this trap play the disabled trap match three games it's it's
0: basically like russian dolls of of games yes it is and you're playing a game and then you have to play a game so that you can keep playing the game
1: but the worst part about the game and of course i didn't realize this until nelson told me because i'm stupid is it cheats it cheats at you if you're winning it will just drop down a whole bunch of really good stuff for the other person and they'll catch up and i really like grinding i like leveling up a lot so that i can beat things easily there's no grinding in this game. If you level up, everything else in the entire world levels up with you.
0: Like uh, all the challenges are... All the challenges, more...
1: all the monsters, all the everything. So I'm like, sweet, I'm finally level 15. Why are all the monsters level 15 too? I'm back in the first dungeon. I don't understand. Oh, that's, that's not how it works. That's not how Final Fantasy was.
0: Uh, no, no. You're, suppo- that's suppo- you're supposed to get an edge. And that's...
1: Exactly. You can't keep
0: a... This is like... This is a communist video game.
1: It is. But speaking of Final Fantasy... I played through FF7 for the first time ever about a year and a half ago. And somehow, because I don't go on the internet enough or something, nothing was spoiled for me.
0: Wow, really?
1: Yeah. I'm not going to say what those were in case there's some other pure soul out there like me. But I got to experience it as if I
0: was playing it as a kid
1: because I was playing it for the first time. And my boyfriend was playing it with me. I mean, he's played it 20,000 times. Was amazed. I cried. I laughed. <laughs> I just, it, it was amazing. And he, I mean, he tricked me when we're in the middle of FF6 right now. He told me the game was over. Nope. World of Ruin. Yeah. I have to keep going. I used all my crap on that fight because I thought it was the last battle. I thought it was a short game, but I thought Wait, it
0: was. Wait, let me ask you this though. <laughs> did you use all your stuff on that last battle because you thought it was the end of the game based on like the clues that the game was giving you? Or did he trick you and tell you that? He was
1: tricked the end me of... and told me it was the last game. Oh my was...
0: God. He's so cruel.
1: He is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, it's one thing to, like, just sit back and, not, and, like, watch you do it yourself but and say, like, oh, maybe j- make this decision yourself and see what happens. But it's another thing to be, like...
1: I know. I'm also very needy at Final Fantasy games or, like, big world map games because it was the short-term memory thing we talked about. I'm really bad at remembering where shit is. It's like, hey, go back to that first village. I got, I got nothing. Where is that? Can you please, like, tell me where that village is yeah. or else I'm going to cry? If the
0: maps <laughs> get too big and complex, I do that, too, and I get, I get stressed out by that.
1: I do. I don't like it, and also that's why I can't play games like Halo because I I can't see enough, and I don't remember where I am, and I, I don't like that kind of game. Give me a good Mario game or Banjo Kazooie or DK sixty four. It's worth that.
0: What was the game that you played with your boyfriend?
1: Oh, gosh. You, I told you we weren't going to talk about this on the air, but okay. I, I can, I,
0: I, we don't, you don't have to put it on. I can oh, no, it. We,
1: we can. <laughs> See how it goes for the segment. Okay. So my boyfriend and I are disgustingly adorable sometimes. It's
0: true. I can confirm this.
1: Yeah. Many of you have seen us. We're the ginger couple at many burlesque shows. <laughs> um, he's also a juggler who's looking to break into being a host and juggling for burlesque. His name will probably be Rusty Tops. Um Anyway, so because we, he never played through any of the Paper Mario games, which are very, very dear to me, back from Super Mario RPG, which I still count in that, to the one on the N64, to the one on the GameCube, to the one on the Wii. So we decided to play it together, a one player
0: game, but share the controller. Okay, what, so. Try to describe to me what that means. Share the controller. I because when we okay, first so, started to say, it, I thought it was like, oh, I'll play a little bit and I'll hand it to you, and then you'll hand it to me.
1: No, that assumes that I can share. I'm not very good at like sharing like that. That would, it would have ended up just me playing the game. I had a little brother. I I was first player. You know, it, he was he's a younger child. You are player <laughs> he's two used by to default. Differing. Yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> imagine an N64 controller, if you will, with okay. the three prongs. Mm-hmm. He would hold the one all the way to the left. I would hold the one all the way to the... Actually, no. He would hold the middle one. I would hold the one all the way to the right. He would steer. I would jump and hit things. Sometimes jumping us us off cliffs. Sometimes not hitting the enemies when I was supposed to. He would sometimes run around in circles because he was excited. It made the game better.
0: So the two of you played one character, but with each of you doing different parts of the same controller.
1: Yes, it helped that there was very little platforming.
0: Oh, that's so... It's just... It warms disgusting. my heart. It's not disgusting. I think it's <laughs> look. I think I think it's really adorable. I have. I am really prone to being overcome by the cuteness of things, d- despite all of my material and my stage name. I really. <laughs> uh i'm not i it's i don't find that that gross at all i th- I just think that that's one of the most adorable things i've heard recently
1: well and it's, it's good for me to pay it back because he is a much bigger nerd than i am he always has been he's actually one of the people who taught me to be a nerd back in high school we've been friends for a very long time um and he and our other friend uh kieran who we're still close with he's actually jeff's boss um I went to the diner with them one time and they were talking back and forth and I couldn't figure out if they were references or inside jokes or just shit they were making up. And I was determined to be part of that. I was like, there's no way. I I don't know what it is, but I want to be there. So I kept going back and I kept figuring it out. And then Jeff's home growing up was kind of like the home for wayward nerds. We'd go there every night during the summer and read comic books and play video games and talk philosophy and I don't even know. And I went. And then a few months later, I could keep up with them. And I was Mm. like, I like this. I want to keep going with this. Um, And in my typical addictive personality fashion, I would find different things. Like when I was in college, I found DC Comics. I I hadn't really read comics, but I was going to go to Comic-Con for the first time. And I didn't want to feel like an outcast, not knowing that it really is kind of just pop culture con and I would have been fine. So I read everything leading up to final crisis and final crisis in like six months leading up to comic-con, I would go with my friend to a bookstore and sit for hours and read comics. I didn't pay for anything. And that year I went as poison Ivy and I felt justified. <laughs> and that is very indicative of actually I, my comic-con experience. I, I went as Molotov cock from venture brothers mm-hmm. and Jeff had found out I hadn't watched venture brothers. So we just watched all of it really quick. And I, and I latch on to these characters and things, and I don't know. I also like cosplaying as redheads because I'm a natural redhead, which is awesome. It's funny because I don't actually look like the characters much because they are not really naturally redhead.
0: Oh, no. The, the, I mean, usually, like, I mean, Molotov coxies, it's like fire engine red, right? Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. But I, I don't care. I, I use my natural that, hair that, and I do these costume things. costume looks and... great.
0: I've seen pictures. I have, I've never, like... I've never seen it in person, but I've seen pictures of it. And it the it attention came out to well. Is good, the the yeah. second
1: version's a little better. The first version um, was see through when a flash was put on it. So at Comic Con, it wasn't see through. But all of the pictures of it, I'm really glad I was smart enough to wear pasties. Yeah. Um, because it's fine. And again, like I said, no problem being naked in public. Not not an issue. But my mother was a little taken aback by the photo. <laughs>
0: Um, I know that we – I think we had met kind of more like in passing before, but we really, I felt like, kind of like became friends this year.
1: At, uh, yeah, absolutely. At, at, the, at
0: a at a party, at an after party from New York Comic Con. Yes. Right? Uh, it was a show.
1: It was Rock Comic Con by Rock the LaGreca Comic-Con. Brothers, yeah. their band. And H2 Awesome.
0: H2 Awesome. And you, were you there with – were you like selling – I working merch for them?
1: kind of just told them I would come help out with whatever they needed. They thought they might need a stage manager, but the venue had one, I think. And so they were like, hey, we don't really want to stick you with merch. I was like, no problem. I'll be nice to people and try to get them to give money. And you were like... Hey, I've got this. I'm like, I know you. I'll watch your merch. I'll try to sell it for you. And you went on stage and I sold like a t-shirt and a CD or something and felt really accomplished. (laughs) Oh, it was
0: great. And then I came back. I just like hung out at the merch booth with you for the rest of the show. Yeah,
1: it was awesome. We got to know each other.
0: What were you? um, You were cosplaying then, too, because you just come from. You met at Comic-Con all day. yeah, I was. And and I kept
1: hitting people with my bow. I was um, Rich Burlew has a webcomic called Order of the Stick. Uh, I was Haley, the rogue character. And my boyfriend was Elan, her boyfriend in the strip. It was awesome. We're very much like those characters both in life and in our D&D campaigns. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing I'm nerdy about. I I, I roll dice. Yeah? Yeah. I – Yeah, for
0: somebody who's like <laughs> – who's claiming that you've got like addictive personality, the things that you get into are the things that like I think are most lend themselves to obsession. Like D&D, Doctor Who, Final Fantasy. I mean these are the things that you can like really lose yourself in.
1: Well, that's why I have to be careful about when I play them and what I do. And – I did get very addicted to D&D right when I graduated college. I was filming my first feature film out in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, and there's not a lot to do there. There's like wing night Mondays and trivia Thursdays. And every other night of the week, I scheduled a D&D game because I had some really awesome friends out there who wanted to DM. So I was in three campaigns simultaneously, having never played D&D before in my life. I Avoid the crazy neuroses by playing the same character almost always and having somebody help me build them. I am a rogue or a rogue swashbuckler, and that is what I am. And I have a really awesome backstory about how I tricked my way onto a pirate ship and it took <laughs> it's, it's very, it's like me as a rogue in a pirate form. I like it, it's fun. And I'm also Indian, I guess it's because I'm so responsible and I have to be an adult in life. I like doing the really stupid shit, like, hey, we might get a surprise round or I could climb up on these barrels and kill everybody. Oh, did I fall on the barrels? Yeah, that's probably, I have a really shitty climb check. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, well. That's Uh, why you
0: do that stuff in video games, too, where you just, in platformers, you just impulsively throw yourself into an abyss just to see what happens.
1: Absolutely. But it works out, because video game designers know that we do that. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: They give you all kinds of opportunities to uh, test out the ways that you can kill yourself
1: yeah but I mean I started playing d and d three five that was where I started um I did a four oh campaign that was a lot of fun but it didn't let me do as many stupid things as three five did
2: really
1: yeah there are more weird mechanics that you can give yourself in three five that are just they're not useful for anything other than you being stupid and like right now I'm playing this campaign with a bunch of my friends and it's the The legendary Tomb of Horrors, essentially. You know, that thing that Gary Gygax made to fuck with everybody. Being like, hey, you think my game's too easy? Here, I'm going to give you a dungeon where everything's going to kill you every five seconds. But the premise, which is genius, my friend Greg Steiner and my boyfriend Jeff are co-DMing it. We were cursed by an evil sorcerer. And every time we go to sleep, we wake up in the Tomb of Horrors. (laughs) And if we live through the night, we wake up refreshed like we slept. And if we die, we wake up with, like, minus two to everything, feeling like shit, can't do anything. Um, And we don't know yet. We suspect it has something to do with being there for a certain amount of nights, and then we might die because some dude was brought into our – who was also cursed. I don't know. It's fun. But that's the kind of thing. I really like the creativity that you get into with that. In fourth edition, it's more modules. Um, It's much easier to DM. If I were ever to DM, I would do that because – it doesn't take all of your life to try to set up.
0: But you don't ever DM.
1: I don't. No, I don't have the time. Mm. I'm also really neurotic. A good friend of mine it who, seems like
0: that <laughs> uh, seems like a, a personality trait that would suit one be to be.
1: Yeah, a DM. yeah. But I mean, like, I have a friend who you know makes a character sheet for every one of his monsters and spends hours and he'd be like no i can't hang out i have to go work on my campaign and i'm like i just i have too many jobs for that and you would i would oh you my would, god my campaign would. would be kick
2: ass yeah if
1: i get hit by i i'm declaring this right now and i shouldn't because is gonna be terrible if i get hit by the epic win curse and i end up in the hospital again i will put together the most <laughs> kick-ass campaign and anybody who wants to come visit can play it with me
0: that's no yeah look out because then people Yeah, please try don't name me yeah people are gonna Um, hopefully, hopefully it's not a real curse.
1: I I hope so. And And please, please remember I'm a martial artist. I can, I
0: can, you know. Yeah. So if anybody, if anybody has designs to have the most expertly made campaign ever, uh, delivered to them by taking out, uh, Sarah Tops in the street, just please remember that she is a lethal weapon. Watch her back. Uh, well, I hope, I hope that nobody, um, I, I hope that no harm comes to you from helping out with Epic Win. Uh, I do too. Because, uh, you are... Uh, you're doing wonderful things for keeping this show afloat while everybody else falls apart. Oh, well, thank you. And we're very, we're all very grateful to uh, have you in the family now. I'm
1: and glad to be here. If, if
0: I may speak for the family and like, let's be fair. It is kind of a family because it's, you know, a bunch of drunks with emotional problems and a variety of really complicated interpersonal relationships. Like it is a family. That's a family. If we had a Thanksgiving, it would be pitch perfect. It would be the classic American Thanksgiving.
1: You say the word, I'll set one up. Epic win Thanksgiving. We got this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Done. Uh I will uh you produce, I'll uh host. Awesome. So anyway, yes, thank you for uh thank you for being uh in our family and thank you very much for coming in and filling in for Nelson Lugo. I am Nelson Lugo. That's right. You are <laughs> Nelson Lugo. So thank you Nelson for being with us. Uh
1: It's been a real pleasure.
0: Many thanks again to Sarah Tops for stopping by the podcast this month now, since Lugo is absent, we're going to try something a little bit different. This month, we're going to have not one, but two guests in the same episode. And we're going to bring that second guest on shortly. But first, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back in just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, our second guest on the podcast this month is a burlesque performer and producer and the creator of The Pink Room, a series of burlesque tributes to the works of David Lynch. Please welcome to the program, Francine, the Lucid Dream. Francine, thank you for being here.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I'm
0: so glad you made the trek out to Astoria.
3: It's great out here. Actually, does does anyone ever ask you if you're secretly Spider-Man?
0: Uh. That's true. Spider-Man was, lived with his aunt and uncle in Queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's asked yet. I'm probably going to have to edit this part out <laughs> so that I can maintain my secret identity. <laughs> I'm just an awkward teenager. So you create the Pink Room. That's right. Which is, look, I don't want to play favorites, but it's my favorite burlesque show in New York.
3: I know. Uh, it's pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> I'm, I, I I love burlesque. And I love David Lynch. So you kind of, you, you filled a void in my heart that I had been waiting for forever. Now, before we get to talking about the history of the Pink Room, tell me a little bit about how you started out in burlesque. Because we first met many years ago, I believe at the Delancey. And you were a stage kitten oh, for it? a show that I was oh, in. Really? Yeah, I think okay. it was I think it was one of the imagine. shows that Boo Bess and Katmandu used to do.
3: Oh yeah, was yeah downstairs at the Delancey? Yes, that was my, my second stage kittening job.
0: I remember meeting you then, and then when I met you later through talking about the pink room, I I only remembered your name. You looked like a different person. I didn't I didn't remember you as the kitten from back then.
3: Yeah, well, I was a different person. I had a different name back then too, so that, that probably threw you off a little bit. That's
0: true. You did have a different stage name, which will not be spoken out loud. As I realized you were trying to distance yourself from your previous stage name. It's okay.
3: I'm, can, not, I'm not saying it. We can say it. I'm not
0: saying it. No, nope. okay. I'm protecting that. I'm protecting okay. Okay. secrets of your past. So tell me about how you got started uh, in burlesque.
3: Um, I have been a fan of burlesque for many years. I started, um, actually, I saw a show in Boston with Through the Keyhole Burlesque, a troupe that's out there, um, and I go-go danced for them and was part of a chorus line many years ago. When I came to New York, um, I would go see shows with Murray Hill and Melody Sweets, and I was just like a super fan. I just loved it. I thought it was the best thing in the world, but I had no idea how to get involved in it. Um, I eventually found the School of Burlesque, um, founded by Joe Boobs Weldon, and started taking classes there. Um, first class I just did for fun, and I was absolutely hooked. Um, so I decided to take another class, a performance class with Dr. Lucky, uh, which is where I met and performed with and became really good friends with um, other performers like Gemini Rising, Satanica, Amelia Bearparts, and Foxy Vermouth.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that you...
2: Let's get this dinner party started
0: All became friends with yeah. the school of burlesque and they're they're regular performers, yes,
3: yeah th- yeah they were uh they were in uh we all had uh our first performance together, um which was amazing, and it was actually while we were taking that class, we hadn't even performed yet. um I think we went to see a show after class one night, and I was like, you know, it would be really cool, a twin Peaks burlesque show. And I I was like, I don't know. I, I was just starting to get to know them. I didn't know if they'd think that was weird. And they all loved the idea. They were like, uh, Amelia Bearparts had even said, you know, I thought of that too. Uh, and I was like, okay, all right. We've got four people here who think it's a good idea. So maybe the, there are other people out there who'd like it. So I did it, even though I had absolutely no producing experience. Right. <laughs> and actually pretty little performing experience. Although I guess at this point I'd been performing for about a year but i just figured no one else is ever going to do this in new york so let's just do it it'll be a one off and we'll see what happens and just
0: just try it yeah. one time just see yeah. what happens maybe we'll do i'll i'll produce a twin peaks burlesque show and maybe my friends will come to I it i
3: know i was like maybe some people will show it. if i beg my friends i'll you know i'll beg my performer friends to to be in the show and then i'll beg my other friends to come to the show and you know hopefully we'll have fun
0: and so what were the results of that first twin peaks uh, show
3: we had a line around the corner. We sold out. Um, it was packed. It was it was it was wonderful, but it was it was overwhelming. Um, as a first time producer, I was scared that no one would show up, and then I had the opposite problem.
0: You yes, you had the exact opposite problem. You yeah. didn't have space in your venue yeah. <laughs> to accommodate the interest that your event. Generated.
3: Yeah, it turned into standing room only. And, uh, you know, so it, I guess it's a good problem to have. But but yeah, it was pretty wild and, and intense.
0: That's and that's when the drug that is producing mm-hmm. your own neat show really takes effect. There was such crazed interest and turnout for that first show. You did it again you yeah. did another Twin Peaks. We were show. like,
3: let's do another show. Let's basically do the same show, same place next month.
0: That was the one that I saw. Right, I didn't. I, I didn't go that. to the very first show. Right, uh, I heard about it, and I, it, it, you know, I definitely my ears pricked up when I when I saw. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, somebody's doing a Twin Peaks themed burlesque show. This is so up my alley. I've I've been a fan since the show aired on television. Uh, I love burlesque. I like the venue. I just didn't make it out for that first one. But then after hearing people talk about it online, I realized I couldn't I couldn't dare miss this again. Mm-hmm. And since you had treated New York City to a second installment, I went out to it and was just floored. I I would have had no idea that you were a well at that point, second time producer. It was such a good show. There were such great performances. There was so much Fun being radiated from everybody in the show. And there was such detail-oriented fan service. <laughs> I mean, down to the prizes in the raffle, uh, the jokes that the host Bastard Keith made, everything. Uh, uh, you, when you showed up, there was a soundtrack of Angelo Badalamenti music playing <laughs> and a stage kitten wrapped in plastic on stage. And there were donuts. There were free donuts for the audience. There were cocktails named after, you know, elements of the show. It was just... I was impressed for a new producer doing a show this, this detailed. I was also impressed that somebody was taking the time to commit their efforts to producing a show about something that I was <laughs> so into that I didn't realize so many people still had interest in.
3: It was a wonderful feeling to know that there were that many people in the city who were still probably as obsessed as I am with Twin Peaks.
0: There were people in the audience in Audrey Horn costumes. You know, people were wearing sweaters and, and the plaid yeah. skirts and the patent leather shoes. Yeah. And it, it it just really excited me. I, I described it after I saw the show. I went and raved about it to Nelson Lugo. It was like I got to go to an epic wind show. It was like uh, the way I feel that maybe, say, Ghostbusters fans or batman fans had maybe felt coming to epic wind shows it was like that for me and i got to go there and see all this like commitment down to the just the details at the end and all of the little twists and 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 elements that people had passionately put into their acts yeah i was i was affected it was so good it was such a good show what was what did you do after after your first two twin peaks shows we
3: did twin peaks one twin peaks two and then there was blue velvet
0: <laughs> <laughs> now you you produce these shows, but you also perform in the shows. Yeah. So you've you not only are you creating these shows, you're developing these themed acts for all of them too. Yeah,
3: yeah. And usually, I mean, because there's such specific themes that you know, I want every important element of the movies or TV shows to be represented. Um, I often do two or three acts, sometimes brand new acts in each show. Um, so this being the third show that i ever done and, you know, feeling pressured to do two numbers in, in this show. It was definitely a challenge for me, um, being a, a fairly new performer. Um, but I have learned so much from doing these shows and just doing month monthly shows sure. and, and cranking out these, these acts. Uh, I don't recommend it <laughs> <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely pushed me as a performer and a producer, so that's really good.
0: Sure, it's kind of like you've created this own your own boot camp yeah. of sorts. For yeah. You. The, you, I feel like you have this kind of growth acceleration that yeah. that the the that the average performer who just works in other people's shows doesn't necessarily get because you are you're so committed to every element of your shows. On top of that, developing two new acts for almost all of them and singing too.
3: Yeah, I try to sing. I try to sing at least one song in every show. In the,
0: in the Twin Peaks show that I saw, you you did uh, Under the Sycamore Trees. Mm-hmm. The Jimmy,
3: I, Jimmy Scott song. The
0: Jimmy Scott song from the, um, well, it was in the final episode of yeah. Twin Peaks, but it didn't show up until the Fire Walk With Me soundtrack.
3: That's right. Yeah, it was in Twin Peaks, but on the Fire Walk With Me soundtrack.
0: I, I almost wept. I was really I was oh god that- <laughs> I'm such a fan of that song I'm such a fan of that moment from the show
3: that makes me so happy because technically that was my very first to or David Lynch theme act and I still I oh really? love it yeah yeah it's and it's it's I don't know it's it's a scary act to do as a performer because there's so much space in between the lyrics, and, sure. and
0: it's you're, just. And you're you're not just singing it; you're still stripping. You're still yeah. doing a burlesque number.
3: Yeah, it's a, and it's singing a that song, too. <laughs> and that's
0: it's not it's not exactly an easy song to sing. Yeah. It's written in a range for aliens, pretty um, much, uh, just Jimmy Scott exclusively. And you just, you you pulled it off with style. Is that is that the one where you also, you have the ring? Yes. You have the ring. Yes.
3: I make I, I make references, lots of references in this fan dance slash singing the, burlesque the, act. The ring <laughs> that the man from
0: another place holds up to his eye in Fire Walk with me. Uh, and,
3: and I also bend my arms backwards at the end. I don't know if you remember that part. I, I, I don't a, remember that It's a that subtle part. little touch, but oh, usually you, people don't notice that because I'm naked at that point. So people are just like, oh, boobs.
0: There's gotta be. There's gotta be somebody. I,
3: but that's what who I do it for. The one person who notices. If if they get something out of it, then it's worth it.
0: This show has attracted the attention of other organized David Lynch enthusiasts. Like yes. The Welcome to Twin Peaks. crew. Yes.
3: Um, Welcome to Twin Peaks is a wonderful blog um, started by Peter Dom, who I'm now friends with, and comes to some of our shows. I don't think he even knows this, but this was a very calculated thing I did on my part where when I was starting the show and trying to figure out how to promote the shows because that's the other thing I also have learned how to do my own promoting and public relations work by doing all this. I basically, you know, did like a search on Twitter to see who in the world is tweeting about Twin Peaks and I actually found him and it's at that's Arwaldo.
0: Yeah. That's Arwaldo. Yeah.
3: Uh, I should follow him. But uh I found him and I just I followed him. And I, I think he followed me back because I was tweeting about Laura Palmer or something and uh, and then you know uh, a friendship developed out of that and now his blog it, it was I think it started around the same time as the Pink Room shows and it has taken off I mean he he's such an amazing resource for anything Lynch related I mean it's, it's pretty incredible it's
0: so true I've I, I now yeah I've visited it frequently since yeah. uh, knowing about your show and and meeting him I mean, he's a mm-hmm. great guy yeah um, he's
3: great. And a great photographer, too.
0: He is definitely an audience member who would have noticed that your arm's bent back. Yes.
2: Like he, yeah.
0: He's aware of everything that's, exactly. that's happening uh, in the show. So he's also got to be just thrilled that the, that the Pink Room exists. Yeah. What are the other acts that you developed personally?
3: So the second act I did for the first two shows, the Twin Peaks shows, were my Laura Palmer act. And I actually didn't... I mean, you think, okay, the producer's going to pick like the most prominent character in the show. I had no interest... like. I from day one I wanted to be Nadine, that that's what I wanted to do from the first show. But no one picked Laura Palmer, and I was like, "Fuck, we need a Laura Palmer." So yeah, that's how it came about. So um, yeah, that's probably become I I guess my trademark David Lynch burlesque act because I do it quite a bit.
0: I mean, you did ultimately, you did get to finally develop your Nadine Hurley yeah. act.
3: Yep. Uh we we keep coming back to Twin Peaks cuz it's a fan favorite and it's my favorite. Uh so the Miss Twin Peaks pageant for which we've done 2 years now. Um I do a Nadine Hurley number and it's probably one of my favorite numbers ever.
0: It's cause
3: I just get to be completely insane. <laughs> it's it's
0: so insane. You've got the eye patch, you do um you do some baton twirling in that act, yeah. which is is great because you know Nadine Hurley has uh, her uh, accident, her attempted suicide, mm-hmm. l- gives her this delusion that she's a high school student, mm-hmm. and so you're you're kind of a cheerleader. Uh, yeah, exactly. Your, you're she auditioning a cheerleader. The, Yeah. Yeah.
3: I don't have pom-poms, but I know how to twirl a baton. So I figured that that was my creative liberty, but it kind of works.
0: It's a great application of pre-existing skill set to burlesque. (laughs) Yeah. Because everybody goes nuts when you start twirling the baton. (laughs) Okay. So now you did the first two Twin Peaks shows, and then you started realizing I've got a thing going on here. Yeah. So I have to start – what else? I can't just keep doing Twin Peaks shows. Maybe I'll tackle everything that David Lynch has done, which is <laughs> yep. what you've started doing Pretty one much. by one. So your next one was Blue Velvet.
3: Blue Velvet, yeah. Um, actually, can, going back to what you said earlier, um, so I have you I mean, you have to have donuts at a Twin Peaks show. Absolutely, that's a given. But when I did this part of me as a first-time producer, was like, maybe people will come if I give them donuts. <laughs> so, but which is funny because. Often I'll buy these donuts and people won't eat them and I end up, you know, we eat them in the dressing room, which is great.
0: We eat them, yeah, we all eat them backstage.
3: Yeah, it's fantastic. But so because of this and I thought, okay, well, the first two shows have been so successful, we're going to do a new theme. And I was like, well, Blue Velvet, it doesn't make sense to have donuts. So I had someone bring in Blue Velvet cupcakes. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, I really thought there was something linked to like the food and the attendance, but which turned out not to be the case. But I still, I still like doing it when I can.
0: These shows take place at the Parkside Lounge on Houston Street in Manhattan. But you still have, like, specialty cocktails that are offered that are consistent with the theme. And there's some drink special, the Frank Booth.
3: Chris Lee at Parkside Lounge um, is fantastic. And he's always, like, super game to come up with drink specials. I usually come up with, like, the name, but he'll come up with a drink. Um, but, yeah, the Frank Booth, um, PBR, and a shot of something, some kind of whiskey. I think we had an entire list of just Blue Velvet-themed drinks. One was a blue-colored drink. Uh, One was the Frank Booth. And the other one was the Love Letter. And actually, this is my favorite drink. It's a shot of mezcal with um, a side of sangrita, which they make at Parkside Lunch. It's delicious. And that's the Love Letter. That's
0: the Love Letter. You went on from Blue Velvet. You did, uh, I, I don't know what was next.
3: Wild at Heart? This was actually the one show that was not as well attended. It was like a really beautiful like abnormally warm spring day and I guess people didn't want to be inside but it was really good um, we had a sailor we had a lula we had be- Bobby Peru which is also one of my favorite Bobby Peru that's your act yes
0: right because you are and also- a lot
3: of people have not seen this act but it's like certainly one of the creepiest
0: let's face facts here you're mm-hmm. a creep you're such a creep <laughs>
3: thank you thank <laughs> and you
0: Schaefer you have this this kind of stable of performers and they all are they all share your passion for the source material yes because they all it's almost seems like I almost get the feeling that when I see the shows that because they've all been involved in all of them and they all are such fans of David Lynch's works, that they're all almost playing to each other to Mm -hmm. see, like, I want to show you how deep cut I can get in the (laughs) details in this number. Um, You know, like when Ruby Valentine did her uh, The Lady Uh, in the Radiator act from... uh eraser head so good. she could have just done the like puffy cheeks and uh-huh. done it to the song in heaven but no the weird little sausage creatures drip out of her clothing as she removes uh-huh. it because it just gives it that much more fan service
3: yeah i mean first of all ruby valentine just she's just amazing she is she's so amazing everything she does is just a little bit of magic creepy magic
0: after after wild the heart is that when you did mulholland drive yes that is when yeah. i basically begged you <laughs> <laughs> to let me be a part of the fun. Like in, in full disclosure, I've hosted a, a few of the Pink Room shows, but um, I don't even remember how exactly it went down when you got to and Drive. But I feel at some point I almost shamelessly threw myself at you and said like, please, I'll do anything. I just want to be a part of this show because it's so awesome.
3: I don't remember it being like that, but if you say so. I
0: feel like I did. I feel like <laughs> maybe I did it with slight more tact and dignity. But then I did get to do uh, Mulholland Drive, and that's when the beast that is the Pink Room got its mm-hmm. claws in me.
3: Yep, and your first character, Adam Kesher. I got to
0: play Adam Kesher, Justin Thoreau's character, the arrogant director, and I like got the black shirt with pink paint all over it. Uh, it was was,
3: me. I want to see him again. I want to see you do that character again.
0: I'll, I'll do it again. Uh, maybe if there's like a, a best of. Yeah. Or or something. It was also for that show. I said, oh, hey, I'll I'll I don't have a song about Mulholland Drive, but I'll write a song to be in your show, which is ended up being a song called the David Lynch movie referencing all of the films of David Lynch. um, Because I think I thought in the back of my head, if I reference everything, then maybe I might get another gig out of her down the road.
3: (laughs) Basically, I was like, well, you went to this trouble, so now you're going to host all the shows so we can hear this every time
0: uh it was i don't
3: tire of it ever i sometimes it comes up in my itunes really listen to it it's it's great
0: i've done other shows and i've had fans request it and i don't do it that song i only will perform at your shows because it's i wrote it for your show i feel it would be weird like if i bought you a dress and then i asked to borrow it to wear it to prom i would feel uncomfortable with that well for a number of reasons one i'm way too old to be going to prom Uh, and then the rest of the reasons so what did, you, what, what, what did you do after that?
3: Well, that was such a great show, but it, that was leading up to summer. So, you know, I, I took a little summer vacation.
0: Oh, where, where does Francine, the lucid dream, the most passionate David Lynch fan in burlesque, take a summer vacation?
3: Oh, well, I, I started it off in the birthplace, the birthplace of David Lynch, Missoula, Montana. And then I went to uh, Snoqualmie. I went to uh, the Twin Peaks Festival.
0: Snowqualmie Falls, of course, mm-hmm. is the um, it's all of the external shots of the the waterfall and what is you know the exterior of the um, the Great Northern Hotel
2: mm-hmm. scene
0: in all of the establishing shots in Twin Peaks. I've been there a couple of times, and that is where they host
3: the Twin Peaks Fest. It's,
0: that's what it's called. Yeah, the, the Twin, Twin Peaks Festival. Festival. There's actually a short documentary about it in the yeah. bonus features if you get the Twin Peaks box set.
3: That's now, right. If you
0: look at the <laughs> the Twin Peaks box set, the cast members that they got were like Ronette Pulaski and uh, Donna Hayward's mom. Yeah. But then you yeah. go to it. Yeah. Who did you meet?
3: Oh, the year that I went, it was Ray Wise.
0: Which is Leland Palmer. Oh, wait.
3: By the way, I forgot. To... He was the surprise guest. So he was... we didn't even know he was going to be there. Oh, wow. He showed up. I mean, uh, come on.
0: You must have died.
3: Yeah. I was, you must I have was...
0: died and then were resurrected.
3: Yeah, I was freaking out a little bit. Um, and then Sherilyn Fenn, Audrey Horn. And <laughs> Sherilyn
0: Fenn was there. Cheryl Lee. Laura Cheryl Palmer. Laura. Yes, Cheryl Lee, the great actress who portrayed Maddie Ferguson. Yes. Uh, oh, I guess she also played Laura Palmer, but Maddie Ferguson.
3: And you know, you know if there was going to be a third season, she would have played a third character. Did you know that?
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. How do you know that?
3: Uh, I can't remember if she actually said that at the festival or if I
0: read it somewhere oh wow but yeah
3: that that was one of the options if, if they had had a third season wouldn't that have been great
0: there's so much that would have been great about a third season yeah, yeah. all right beyond Mahon Drive you then did
3: yeah came back after after summer vacation in summer peaks. vacation
0: right
3: <laughs> um and then wasn't it Fire Walk With Me?
0: That was probably when yeah. you did Fire Walk With yeah, Me. Yeah. No,
3: it was actually, it was, it was more than a summer vacation. It was a pretty long break because we did that around Halloween. Um, and then <laughs> I finished that year off with a best of
0: show. Right. And that was when I think I first saw Ruby Valentine's Eraserhead number. Nope. No?
3: No. I think, no, it wasn't until oh, okay. last year.
0: Oh, okay. I know.
3: So many, We've been doing this for over two years now. Wow. It's crazy. It gets confusing. Yeah, I've done a lot.
0: You've done a lot of shows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh right. Of course, I know what you did next.
3: The Miss Twin Peaks pageant. The
0: Miss Twin Peaks pageant. The first one.
3: Yeah, the first one. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. That was crazy. Yeah, that
0: one was so much fun. Uh,
3: um, the Miss Twin Peaks pageant actually doubles as my birthday party. Right. I just happened to plan it that way. It's in January, right? Yeah. You always do it. You always do
0: it uh, around your birthday and you did it this year. Also the second Miss Twin Peaks pageant around your birthday.
3: Um, so again, this was, you know, almost a year after the first show, um, craziness. There was a line around the block and I was, I felt bad and I went dressed as Nadine, (laughs) like in character as Nadine offering donuts to people in line.
0: Who they, were standing on the, it's January yeah. in New York too, so it's, it's not pleasant out there.
3: Yeah. And they didn't want them. They just wanted to get into the oh. show, and I felt terrible. I was like, but I mean, it was a fantastic show. It was a lot of fun. I debuted my Nadine act, and there were a lot of other crazy acts in that show. Um, you know, we had all of our, our regular, like our fan favorites which is of course we had our audrey horn we had um log lady log lady we have a log lady act by amelia bear parts mm-hmm. which is one of my favorites i don't get enough of that
0: um you had uh foxy vermouth doing a
3: <gasps> yes oh, i can't remember her name. lana budding milford. lana budding
0: milford, milford yeah the gold digger yep from season two yeah you did the group we, number yeah. if you've seen the episode and i think it's like
3: well, it's the it's second to last It's the second episode. to
0: last episode, which begins with the Miss Tw- Twin Peaks pageant. And in that episode, you see uh, there's, a, there's a group number. All the contestants come out on stage, and they do this little song and dance with uh, twirling umbrellas. And and they, they do this little chorus line type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you got the music from that number, and you choreographed it, and you got the umbrellas. And the, the performers, the uh, contestants in the pageant came out and did that number. Uh, which was like next level, even for you. Like yeah. that was such commitment to this premise that it was it was kind of mind blowing.
3: I mean, I'm just starting to learn any burlesque show where the performers rent a rehearsal space and get together and actually work together on a performance, because that doesn't happen very often. No, no, It means that people really care about the show, and I really, really cared about this show, Um and I feel like it paid off, Um and we we did it again. This past year with with similar results. I mean, it was just it was but it was better because it was fine tuned and everyone's characters are just getting better and better. It's yeah, pretty amazing.
0: That was the first time I think I guess the first time I did was uh, Mulholland Drive. I did the Adam Kesher character. Mm-hmm. But after that, it's just kind of been my go to has been uh, I've been I've hosted your shows as Agent Cole, David Lynch's character, the FBI uh, bureau chief, who uh, Cooper's boss. Can,
3: can, can, you, can I, you be him for I a moment?
0: I, <laughs> I, I I started hosting as that character because I don't do any impressions. I do one impression, and it's David Lynch's Agent Cole. So I would put on the suit and have the, I'd spray the sides of my hair gray and I'd put the earbuds in to pretend like it was my hearing device. And then I'd come out and I'd be like, Francine, it's really terrific that you asked me to be a part of this show. We're going to have a terrific time tonight. I'm afraid you're going to have to speak up. Hearing's gone. It's a long story. So now that's been my kind of (laughs) (laughs) my go-to hosting shtick for every Pink Room show.
3: (laughs) I'm so glad that this is just a podcast and there's no camera here because I just like physically freak out in such a wonderful way when I hear that voice because it's so dead on. (laughs) Um, and actually, I think you did this for the first time for the, the Fire Walk With Me show, yes. correct? it was
0: the Fire Walk With Me show. It was because, the first time.
3: Can I remind you of this moment? I don't know if you were aware of this, but um, you had just announced um, uh, Gemini Rising, who was doing her Audrey Horn. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She's normally Audrey Horn. She was doing her... Um,
0: my um, uh, Lil! My brother's sister's girl, right?
3: Yes. Yeah. And and she, I, she came on stage, and the... Uh, the beginning of her music actually has David Lynch as Agent Gordon <laughs> Cole saying those lines and all of us backstage were freaking out because we thought it was you. It was like, we just heard you doing his voice and we're like, wait, no, that's her music. We were, And we we're like, that's when I was like, this is going to be a great show. Yeah, I didn't
0: realize <laughs> I learned the little speech that he gives Chris Isaac when he introduces Lil, this just, right. who's just like the human embodiment of symbolism <laughs> for, this, for this film. Yeah. Um, I
3: hope they use that in like film schools to teach symbolism. I, I hope they do.
0: Um, and so, yeah, so I learned this speech that he gives and introed her and then I didn't realize that she had actually edited that clip from the movie to start her music. So then I did it and then walked off stage and then heard it again. Again. <laughs> That's been my go to for all of the pink room shows yes, since then. It's so uh, except for when you did the second Miss Twin Peaks patch, and I realized I had to do something else and so then I was uh, dick from dick. Uh, Horns Department Store. Which I don't do quite as well.
3: I still loved it. Even though he's a dick, he's abrasive. He is. He's not he's not as lovable, but he uh, but no, I, th- I thought you did a fine. Well, job. Well, thank
0: you. It gave me an excuse to buy a tuxedo. At uh, some point in there you did a lost highway show.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Which was actually the f- was, was yeah, it was the first anniversary show was also the Lost Highway show. Mm-hmm hosted by Bastard Keith and we basically had a bunch of alices and a bunch of Renee's. it was just brunettes and blondes in the whole show and then hardcorey
0: yeah the mystery man yeah the creepy creepy, yeah, the, creepy
3: creepy character I'm in their
0: house right now yeah. that guy yeah
3: yeah he did a bang up job it was pretty um, amazing
0: oh and then some point in there you did a uh, donuts and doppelgangers show
3: yeah because that's so such I, a
0: common motif among david lynch films is that there are two characters who well wait maybe they're the same character. Maybe they're not. Maybe they just look like each other. I don't really know what's going on.
3: Yeah. And I think, actually, one one of the things I, I love about doing the shows is combining, you know, one of the things I love about David Lynch's work is that it combines this really horribly dark film noir element with really weird, campy, quirky humor. Sure. So, and I, I think it works for a burlesque show, too, because if you go, like, all super dark it's a little hard to bear. Sure. So I like to, like, balance it with with some humor.
0: Um, you got to give them a little nervous laughter every now yeah, and then. A yeah. Let them whistle past the cemetery for a yeah.
3: moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At this point, because, you know, I knew I wanted to do a Lost Highway show. I knew it from the mm-hmm. beginning. I was like, this has to happen. It has, like, such an amazing soundtrack. And then after that, I was like, well, I, I went through all the themes that I'm planning on doing so far. So um, let's mix it up. I don't want to do another best of show. I don't want to just do Twin Peaks, let's do Donuts and Doppelgangers. And that was a show that really combined, like, Donuts, the happy, fun, quirky side of David Lynch, and Doppelgangers, that creepy, dark element of otherworldliness um, that makes his work so great. So, yeah, that was really fun, and um, we had two Agent Cooper numbers in that show.
0: That's true. There were, uh, one of them was Apathy Angels. Yeah. And Legs Malone's. Yeah. Yep.
3: And they're both so different.
0: They are both so and different. And they're both wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> there's been a lot of them. There's been a lot a, a lot of these shows. And, you know, there's always a, a point, like, you, you start, as a fan, you start thinking, she's going to run out of material. Well, I mean, you're not because you can keep, you figured out ways to keep doing Twin Peaks shows by doing this Pe- Twin Peaks pageant, by doing Firewalk with me. You figured out a way to do a best of show while also doing Donuts and Doppelgangers. You figured out ways to keep them going. But as far as themes that are based on specific movies, there's a finite number of David yeah. Lynch films. I mean, of course, there's a constant joke that is being made. That, you know, how would you do a straight story show?
3: I always imagine that would just be a two-hour show with just me in it, riding a tractor and slowly over two hours, taking off one piece of clothing one of those time. little
0: one of those little pedal toy tractors, You just like go from <laughs> like stage left to stage right, slowly removing clothes. Maybe people yeah. walk out on stage and are like, "Oh, here's a troubled young teen who's pregnant, and here's my estranged brother. Thank God Harry Dean Stanton showed up in this thing." <laughs> Yeah,
3: to be more of like an Andy Warhol style like art experiment.
0: But there's been, well, there's been a bigger one. There's been a bigger elephant in that room that is the Pink Room.
3: I don't know. What are, you, are you talking about Elephant Man? Are
0: you no, not that? not not Elephant Man. I mean, uh, you, the I, alphabet. I don't think there's so enough. Some of the, I do I don't think there are enough characters in the Elephant Man for a full show. Uh, I'm just trying to think. There has to have been some movie he made, some sort of sweeping epic with tons of characters and fantastic costumes and. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe it's the show that wouldn't make for a burlesque show, or would it? So, Francine, what's your next show? What's the next thing that you are going to tackle?
3: The next show is Dune Burlesque. Bum, 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 bum. bum. bum.
0: I won't go on. You are doing Dune. Dune. Yep. You are doing a I'm, Dune burlesque show.
3: I never thought I would. It was a joke.
0: It was it a was... joke. I mean, I know we. I just said that we made a joke about the Stray story, but the Dune has been an even bigger joke. Yeah. In fact, there's a there's like this this DVD uh, warehouse wholesaler in in Manhattan around Union Square where we've gone to buy some DVDs for raffle prizes, and though they don't have any David Lynch films, they've got like a hundred copies of Dune. <laughs> Dune has Dune has been one of the Go to prizes uh, in the show because there's always you know there's like audience participation Mm and there are prizes and raffle prizes and stuff, Uh, but there's always copies of Dune and it's kind of been this joke among fans as well as the cast of the show that you're never that you know you can't do Dune or you that you won't do Dune or that you're going to do everything you possibly can and put off (laughs) Dune as long as possible. I
3: did a best of show before I did way before I did Dune
0: and now that time has come. Yep, because we are just (laughs) two days away. From The Pink Room Presents Dune Burlesque.
3: I can't believe it.
0: I can't believe it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The spice will flow.
0: It will flow. Uh, So what was it? What was it that finally made you realize you couldn't put off your Dune show anymore?
3: Well, I I mean, like like we said, it was a joke and I was never actually going to do this show. But so many people were contacting me. Like people who maybe even hadn't been interested in Twin Peaks or Blue Velvet or whatever but they had heard about my show after doing it for a couple of years and they were like they you know amazing performers came to me and said if you ever ever do a Dune show I need to be a part of it wow yeah like I mean many people said this and I was like wow like I haven't had this kind of interest for any of these shows you know um, booking you know these shows are, it can be a challenge at times um so i was like okay well clearly there's interest in people doing the show there must be people who would want to see the show too so okay well it was it sat in the back of my head for a while um and then earlier in the year around miss twin peaks the second one i i was like you know what i'm gonna watch this movie I'm Just gonna i'm just gonna give it a go i'd seen it years ago didn't understand it uh it was like okay Kyle McLaughlin, Patrick Stewart's in it and uh Big Ed is yeah, in it Big too?
0: Ed is Big Ed is in the picture too
3: um but I'll give it another go so I watched it again and I was like this is such a spectacle it's such an amazing spectacle and I was like you know what this would be perfect for burlesque the costumes mm-hmm. everything about it I mean it's bizarre it does I mean the thing I love about both David Lynch and burlesque is that you can tell these stories, but they don't have to be linear.
0: True. Uh, Rarely are. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Um, So I was like, let's give it a go. And, you know, part of it was your willingness to host the show uh, because I need a host and I I, I don't plan on hosting the show. Um, And yeah, I, I just I thought it was the right time to do it.
0: I mean, look, I'm sure the show is going to attract lots of fans of the book.
3: Of course, yeah. Uh,
0: And maybe even fans of the uh, television miniseries from several years ago. But we're going David Lynch Dune here. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: This this is David Lynch, the movie.
0: I really wanted to be a part of this show when you first were saying that you were doing it. Even though I hadn't actually seen Dune, I'd somehow. It had been, like, in the way that the show had been kind of the thing you'd kept putting off. Dune was always the David Lynch film that I always put off. There's even a line in my song where I... You know, admit that I've never seen it. It's the only one. So when you finally were doing the show, I was like, "This is going to be my opportunity to see Dune." I like a challenge. It's science fiction. Otherwise, I'm going to go to the show and I'm going to be jealous. So I'm going to do it. And so I, uh, I finally got around to watching Dune. And uh, wow, <laughs> you've got your work cut out for you.
3: Actually, I think when I asked you to host the show, I said, "No." Before you answer. You realize if you do the show, that means you're going to have to watch this movie. Yeah. Probably more than once. Lots. And are you okay with that?
0: Yes, I committed. Yep. I had a leftover copy from one of the prize, from one of the prize packs. Right. Uh, and uh, I've watched it a couple of times. I'm going to watch it a couple of times the day before the show just to make sure there's a narrative in there that I missed because <laughs> it's, it's a little tricky to follow. And that's not really David Lynch's fault. It's too big of a story to be contained in a two-hour narrative. And there's, you know, famously he had struggles with the studio. and It's
3: not his fault. It's not his fault. It's not it's,
0: his it's, fault. It's, there's a, there are so many wonderful elements of that film. The costume yeah. design alone oh, yeah. is spectacular. Yeah. It's which, worth
3: watching just for that. It is. I mean, I would recommend anyone who doesn't really give a shit, rent the movie, watch it. You don't even need to have the volume on. Just whatever. I mean, just do whatever you do on your it, nights off.
0: You're not going to get lost in the story. No. You're you will if you have the volume on. Yeah. Because there's at some point there's like an 8 year jump in time that isn't really addressed.
3: Is there? I didn't even know that.
0: Of suddenly That would Paul Atreides has a little sister.
3: No, actually I rewatching it, she actually grew at a rapid rate. Oh really? I, I'm not even making that up. I, I I thought that was weird too and uh I rewatched it recently and they said she grew at a rapid rate cuz uh or I don't know. Maybe I was high. I don't know. Well, I'll,
0: I'll I, again, yeah. I, I was just overwhelmed like watching it. Just yeah. trying. I was just trying to stay on top of it. Uh, and you know, at about the forty-five minute mark, I realized like, you know what? I'm just going to watch this for the visuals. I'll get the narrative on my subsequent viewings. I still, I, I still liked it a lot, and yeah. I'm still really excited about this. I've I've been privy to um, some information to to some photographs of some mm-hmm. of the cast members of the show. So I've seen some of the. Um, some of the costumes people are putting together I've heard some descriptions of some of the acts they're doing uh, what are you doing for this show what is what is your number for this show
3: uh, I usually like to keep these things uh, a surprise that, you know you, you want to know you're gonna have to come to the show find out but
0: oh you, you, you can uh, you're welcome to keep it a surprise
3: well it's not really a surprise because there are photos out there in fact uh, there, are. I, there was one photo of me in my costume that was uh, released on the today show of all places. Uh,
0: yes, that there was a still frame of you in your Dune costume Yeah, on NBC's Today Show. I
3: slipped that by the producer.
0: Today. Really? Yeah.
3: Well, no, I mean, she liked the photo, but I don't think she had any idea what it was a reference to. That's okay. That's just, it's that's, like my little, like, secret. Like, that's that's out there. That's, yeah.
0: Thank you, Al Roker. <laughs> yeah, I was very excited when I saw that, when yeah. I saw your segment on the Today Show, and they were showing, like, you know, you talk about being a burlesque performer in, in your intro. And then the the image. Well, there's actually two images. They're both pink room related.
3: Yes, actually they all are. All the all the images in there. One, one was just of me wearing like a black lodge bra and a, a little stormy Twin Peaks theme hat. Right. And then the other one is the from the Doppelganger Doppel- show yep. where I'm dressed as both Renee and Alice. Yeah.
0: And then and then it ends on yeah. your Dune costume, which is
3: L- Lady Jessica Atreides.
0: You are Lady Jessica Atreides. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen the pictures. Th- look, the, the costume is, it's spectacular. You look, lots of times when you do these theme burlesque shows, pink room shows or other, other companies who do theme burlesque mm-hmm. shows, you know, it's kind of like being a cosplayer in a, in a sense that like, you know, you're a fan of something, you create a costume based on a character and a thing that you like. And it's right. usually, you can find ways to go around. You can find things that fit in for other things. Right. Doing a Dune show properly isn't really possible. There aren't things out there that look like the clothes that are worn in Dune. You have to get... If you want to be really committed, it's you're either going to put in a ton of work or you're going to rely on reaching out to some other costumer to help you out. Yeah. Because those aren't costumes that you can fake. You can fake Star Wars costumes. You can't fake Dune costumes. Yeah, And your Lady Jessica costume is breathtaking.
3: Thank you. I Well, I because the movie is, I, I don't get it. I don't really understand <laughs> it yet. I'm going to watch it again. Maybe I, maybe I'll have all the answers in the next couple of days. Oh, um, can we cue?
0: If you watch it on Friday night, can you cue it up at the same time that I do? And then we'll text each other during it. Yes. That would be great.
3: That'd be awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, I felt like because the movie Dune went so massively over budget, um, I know this is so meta. I mean, I kind of went over budget with my costume. I was like, if there's going to be one element, uh, this this is going to, I'm going to make this the best Lady Jessica burlesque act. I don't know if anyone's ever done one before, but I'm going to make this the best. So, yeah, I went a lot. I got Garo Sparrow, amazing costume designer, to create this thing for me. And uh, it's beautiful. And I, I cannot wait to show it.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even just the costume. The styling that you did was amazing. The, the work that you put into getting your hair to look like Lady Jessica's hair. And again, much like the costuming in Dune, all the styling is, is from some other dimension that you can't really be easily replicated. It's, it's, it was really an impressive look.
3: Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's a combination of like Victorian elements and sci-fi. Yeah. like early 80s sci-fi yeah so,
0: and let's be fair, you could probably do three dune shows and still not run out of characters. It's oh yeah, it's such a huge cast and there's so many elements to it.
3: I mean one one very small character that will actually be represented represented in the show this weekend um, doesn't get much attention usually but it's uh those adorable little space pugs.
0: Right the space pugs. Because everybody has pugs in space,
3: yeah. Because that's the rule. That's, that's the dog of choice in space.
0: Gosh, I don't want to ask you to spoil anything, so you don't have to. But I just, I a part of me just hopes that there's at least some, in some way, there's a representation or a cameo from um, one of the the giant sandworms from the sand planet uh, Arrakis, sand planet mm-hmm. Dune, the spice. Arrakis, Sand Planet, Dune. That's half of Kyle McLaughlin's dialogue in the film, by the way, is just saying those phrases over and over in like have, well, having fever dreams.
3: The spice, the worm, is there a connection? <laughs> is there? I'm asking you. I don't fucking know. I, I,
0: I don't know. His <laughs> eyes was lit up, so I guess there's a connection, or maybe it was Sting's crotch. I don't know what happened. <laughs> But um, I just hope there's a giant sandworm in the show.
3: There might be a sandworm. I hope so. I can't, I can't, well.
0: Of course, of course you can't.
3: I don't want to say too much, but there might be a sandworm. I'm excited. The the, the sleeper might awaken.
0: And again, like you pointed out to me in an email, that is a, that's just a boner joke Mm -hmm. waiting to happen. Um, This,
3: this movie, by the way, any, any of you out there who are planning on watching this for the first or second time, uh. There are a lot of references, it seems, to, like, genitalia.
0: Oh, God, lots. The Like that
3: worm. I, I don't even know what that thing is. The thing, is it,
0: it's like the head of the Spicing Guild. Is that what that organization's called? They wheel out that, that giant space vagina in the yeah, tank?
3: It's, it's, yeah, it's a big space vagina. The close-up on the mouth.
0: I'm very excited that, to get to wear out my... Um, House Harkonin Doctor Costume. I'm so I excited put to Put together that. for the show. I've and, seen
3: it in person. I'm the only person who's seen it in person. You are the only person, I think, right? Seen, yeah. Yes, that's true. You are the only person who's yeah. seen it in person.
0: And I do hope that somebody has a House Harkonnen uh sting cod piece.
3: Okay. I can't say for sure, but I think there might be a cod piece in the show.
0: So if you want to see this in action and you do want to see all of this in action, please attend. The Pink Room presents Dune Burlesque. This Saturday, April 27th, at the Parkside Lounge in Manhattan.
3: 10 p.m. doors.
0: 10 p.m. doors. Uh, the spice will, in fact, flow. Schaefer. What's up? Um,
3: I actually have something for you. Oh, what's I, I almost forgot. What is that? Hang on.
0: Oh, my goodness. I love surprises.
2: <laughs> Don't look.
0: Okay, I'm not looking. Hey, Schaefer. What's up?
3: I brought you some David Lynch coffee. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, my God. This is David Lynch Signature Cup Coffee, mm-hmm. um, which you uh, you buy uh, uh, online and then yeah. you use as raffle prizes yep. in Pink Room shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I got one of these once. I didn't actually win it. Somebody else won it, and I got it from oh, them because really? they didn't drink coffee. It was a show that I attended, uh, and it's some of the best coffee I've ever had.
3: Yeah, I was gonna give it to you at the show, but then I figured I'd give it to you now, and then you can get all jacked up on caffeine b- before the show. <laughs>
0: I'll get all jacked up on caffeine. <laughs> before. I'll get all jacked up on caffeine and, and edit this episode. on
3: it. <laughs> Fantastic! Thank
0: you so much, Francine. This is really thoughtful. I love. I, it's really good. I it's look. So I good. love coffee. I love David Lynch, and it, I don't think I'm being just tricked because his name is on the bag, but it really is. Uh, it's excellent coffee.
3: No, it's actually really good. I mm. when I run out, you know, I've tried to go get like the other like local fancy brands and. Yeah. It's not the no. same. The
0: last time I had this, yeah, I remember I remember the, the when I went and got coffee at, at my local grocery store afterward and got like the, the whole beans. It just wasn't the same. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. Enjoy.
0: Wow. This is you're the first guest that's ever brought me a gift. Really? And I really appreciate that. So so in your face, Nelson Lugo. <laughs> um so I think we're just about done. There's one last thing I wanted to ask you before uh-huh. we go, though. Look, I know you're a diehard David Lynch fan. You're specifically a diehard Twin Peaks fan. I gotta know. I've always had this suspicion. Can you speak in that backwards speak? The way that the oh. dancing man from another place, who uh, in the Black Ledge, can you do that backwards speak?
3: Oh wow. Yeah, I can try.
0: Sure. Just go ahead. Just give it a shot.
3: Okay. The room for is filled with secrets.
0: Oh my God! You actually can do it. God, Color Was that good? It was great, and it was creepy, and now I'll have nightmares. But um, Francine the Lucid Dream, I would like to thank you very much for stopping by.
3: Thank you so much, Shea for the Dark Lord.
0: And uh guess I'll see you at Dune on Saturday. I can't wait. Many thanks again to Francine the Lucid Dream for being our second guest on the podcast this month. For more information about what she's up to, her upcoming shows, and lots and lots of pictures and information, Please visit her website at FrancineBurlesque.com. Look, one thing I want to address here is that I know this is the point in the show where we typically do listener mail, and I know that two episodes ago, Lugo suggested a contest, a listener contest, and last month we uh, postponed the results of that contest. Well, until Nelson Lugo is back here, we're having to postpone those results again, I'm sorry. I'm sure you've been very patient uh, in waiting for those results, but I'm just not comfortable doing it until he's back. So we hope that next month he will be back and then we can announce the results of that contest. So please be patient until next month. So uh, what do you say we, uh, we do some plugs and we uh, get out of here? Schaefer? Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do the plugs. Terrific. Tonight, Thursday, April 25th, you can catch me appearing at the Bitter End in New York City. I will be performing a full set. I will be performing on a bill with Liv and Lucia, Gabrielle Sturbins, Brandon Patton, who is the bass player of MC Frontalot, and a rare acoustic performance from Brendan B. Brown of Weedis. Yes. The Teenage Dirtbag Band. Uh, He'll be performing headlining, uh, playing a number of weedest hits acoustically. And if you come, maybe you'll get to hear me make a rap cameo on Teenage Dirtbag. Hey, look, I can't make any promises. Ooh, I hope that does happen, because I would really love to hear that. This Saturday, April 27th, of course, you can come see The Pink Room Presents Dune Burlesque. At the Parkside Lounge in Manhattan. That show is at 10 p.m. And uh, I will be hosting that show. So come out and see Francine the Lucid Dream's burlesque tribute to Dune. On Saturday, May 4th. That's right, Star Wars Day. Epic Wind Burlesque returns to the R-Bar for a Saturday night show, it's a mixed bag of acts. We've got some performers from out of town, Kiss of Von Adams from Orlando, Sherry Sweetbottom from DC, and just a whole bunch of wonderful performers. Some Star Wars acts, some non-Star Wars acts, but it will be a great time. This isn't actually a show, but it's something worth noting. On Friday, May 10th, it is Nelson Lugo's birthday. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know what? Friday, May 10th has double significance. You know what else is happening? That date happens to be the 10-year anniversary of the first ever Schaefer the Dark Lord show. So I will be turning 10, and Nelson Lugo will be turning uh, older than 10. (laughs) Yes, uh, definitely older than 10. On Saturday, May 11th, Epic Win Burlesque returns to the Norican Poets Cafe for another double feature. This time, one of the shows is a tribute to teen rebels of film. This includes such things as uh, The Greasers of Greece, perhaps The Outsiders, Crybaby, etc. The other show is a remount of our tribute to Ghostbusters. Come for either one of the shows or for a reduced... Ticket price, buy one ticket for both shows. On Monday, May 13th, it is another Epic Win birthday. It is the birthday of original Epic Win cast member, B.B. Hart. So please, Monday, May 13th, send a birthday greeting to B.B. Hart. And last but not least, on Saturday, May 25th, Johnny Pork Pie will present one of his dead sexy shows at Time Scare in Manhattan. Uh, This show will be hosted by me, Schaefer the Dark Lord. Oh, excellent. That sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe I'll go to that. So yeah, there's a lot of shows coming up. We encourage you to see them all. Uh, And just one last thing I would like to say before we wrap this up. Nelson Lugo was, was terribly missed this month on the podcast. Hopefully he will be able to return to the podcast next month. But until then, our well wishes continue to go out to him. We hope for nothing but a speedy and safe recovery to our beloved Nelson Lugo. Get well soon, buddy. And please continue to send him your well wishes because they go a long way to uh, bolstering his spirits as he goes through this difficult process. Well, I guess that's it then. I guess we're, uh, I guess we're uh, done. Yeah, I guess we are. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode nine of the Epic Piecast. My name is Schaefer the Dark Lord, and my name is Schaefer the Dark Lord. Be safe, internets. Uh, Bye. The Epic Piecast is brought to you by Nerdy Show. All programming on the Nerdy Show Network is listener-supported. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can show your support by telling a friend or going to nerdyshow.com and clicking the support button. Even a small contribution gets you cool nerdy perks and allows you to take part in our monthly support drive contests. For more episodes of The Epic Podcasts, videos, contests, and other nerdy programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Subscribe to all our latest episodes via the iTunes store. And remember to follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter at Nerdy Show to keep up to date on the latest nerdy show news.